We want to welcome everyone to a very special live episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell here with Ad Monsters. And uh, as you know, each episode we talk with leaders in tech, business, and media. And today we have three special guests. I'm going to ask each guest to introduce themselves here in just one second, but also tell us a little bit about what they're doing for work today. And then also tell us a little bit about their family backgrounds and their culture. So let's go ahead and get started. And Alicia, please introduce yourself to everybody. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. My name is Alicia Ray. I'm the founder of AdTech Collective and also spend my time uh, working on product commercialization and strategy for Free Will, a Comcast company. I'm originally from Kingston, Jamaica. So I'm an island girl. Grew up in South Florida come from a Chinese Jamaican family. So you can just imagine the dynamics there. And I was raised in Miami, Florida. And I have the same story as every New Yorker that moved to New York. I packed a bag and moved here with no money and then figured my way out. So I'm super happy to join the discussion and really share in conversation with some amazing game changers on this call. So thank you guys for having me. Excellent. How about you, Reggie? Yeah, sure. Hey, everybody. I'm Reggie Hudson, I'm currently uh, Director of Digital Operations at North Star Travel Media, born and raised in New York. Lived there pretty much all my, my life, with the exception of a, a few months in a, in a small town outside of Selma, Alabama. So definitely have a little north-south thing going on. Yeah, you know, definitely excited about what we have today, like Lisa said, and um, looking forward to, to the topics that come up. Excellent. Brenda? Hi, everybody. Just wanted to thank Carell and Eric and the Ant Monster team for having me here today. Brenda Salce Garcia, I run the customer success and marketing organization at Operative Media. I'm also the co founder of TACFE, which is a group curated to helping women move and progress in the ad tech and media space. I am very proud Dominicana, uh, born and raised in New York City, but frequent the islands uh, quite frequently as well. So Alicia, you got a sister in arms with <laughs> Awesome. Thank you all for, for doing those intros. So I, I want to jump into your career paths, right? And as we were prepping for this and, and discussing the paths that each of you have, have taken, one of the things that has stood out to me is that as each of you have progressed in your path, there have been new skills that you've had to learn, right? And in some cases, you've also had to reinvent yourself a little bit, right? And Brenda, I'll start with you because your background was mainly account management, customer success. But just recently, you've now taken on marketing responsibilities along with customer success, right? And so can you talk a little bit about sort of that journey to get to where you're at today? Yeah, absolutely. And even just like a chapter before that, a lot of my experience um, started out in the ad operations before I even moved on to kind of more account management and customer service and success. So, you know, really for me, customers, my customers were really at kind of the the center point in the nucleus of both where I kind of found my joy professionally and, you know, where I also attributed a lot of the value, meaning that, you know, when I was able to sit down and collaborate with a customer and be able to kind of bring initiatives together and align, you know, it's, it's really where I found my success. So the journey from account management and relationship building and working with customers over to marketing 
was one that I didn't see for myself, particularly. And I know, Carell, you and I have had conversations like, how did I even get into marketing? But, you know, when I think about the single thread there is is really around, you know, the ability to storytell, the ability to bring what matters to customers, to the industry at the at, at the forefront. So, you know, that transition, I, I would like to say I'm still kind of, you know, a work in progress. It's been one year, but it's definitely something that, you know, I have found, you know, very fulfilling in terms of being able to be really at the cusp of the challenges of the industry and being able to bring the right people to the table to help collaborate. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that is, you know, where I'm finding, you know, the the best adventures. Yeah. And I I think, you know, one thing that stood out to me right there is what you said is, you know, you didn't necessarily see this for yourself, right? And I think it's important as we go along our our career journeys to make sure we we don't have those blinders on, right? And, And Reggie, You've had to reinvent yourself a little bit too, right? And and sort of uh, think outside the box. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, very much so. It's funny. I feel like everybody I talk to that's in this industry didn't intend to be here, but <laughs> here we are. So I started off actually uh, coming out of college as an econ major, um, had no intentions of dealing with media. I was coming out right around the housing crisis when that crashed. So lost my job, had to look for something new, transitioned into media. On the print side, right around the time the, the print industry crashed. So it was, you know, kind of a, a time where I had to take a step back and say, where am I going to go that is sustainable and has growth? So fortunately, at that time, I think I was working in Radio One and they were starting to get their digital collective together. And I applied for a job there and they said no. So, you know, for me, it, it was uh, the opportunity to take a step back. And say, I, I don't know enough right now to be in this industry. So I started to educate myself, literally had a, a binder of stuff that I printed out of every digital term you could find, right? And that was the beginning. And, you know, someone was fortunate enough, or I was fortunate enough for someone to give me the opportunity early on in a digital sales role. And from there, I started to evolve into more of the ad tech and ad operations side of the business to eventually coming to work on more, uh, you know, programmatic, addressable media and things of that nature. So, you know, constantly thinking about the growth of the industry and thinking about, you know, where the next phase is. So that's what I've had to deal with, I guess, over my 14 years. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and, and one key point that you touched on there, which Alicia, I want to ask you about is Reggie, you said that you, you certainly have had help along the way, right? And Alicia, can you speak to a bit about how important it is to have mentors or, you know, allies that, that help in your career journey? Yeah, definitely. So I don't know how I ended up in this industry. I was actually a <laughs> fine arts major. Um, and so I thought I wanted to be this world renowned. And then I quickly realized that maybe that should just be a side thing. Um, but to your point of having mentors, I was very fortunate, one, to have really amazing parents who are immigrants to this country who literally combed through every school in Dade County and said, my child is going to art school. And so they put me into art school for a number of years. And it was there I started to cultivate really strong relationships with my teachers um, and different people in the industry who kind of shaped my perspective of, of some of the opportunities that, that I was able to unlock. And so 
there was a little bit of handholding along the way. I had people, you know, you're in an immigrant community. A lot of the people that do come to this country are really trying to sort things out and are not always clear about what the opportunities are for their children. They know they want really positive experience for their child, but it's not always very clear how to unlock that. So I've been very fortunate to have a number of people, um, even till this day, that has said, hey, what do you think about trying this? And I started out in newspaper and it was literally someone handing me an internship and saying, hey, go work for this newspaper company. You're, you have really strong design skills figure out what you can do there. And then over time in building those relationships and being open, which is super important, I had a chance to spend some time in radio and then eventually made my way into TV where for a number of years, I've been very focused on traditional television. And even now I'm cutting my teeth at some of the more emerging technology and emerging spaces within um, TV. So it's really important to build community and really important to be open to having those conversations and then taking on new challenges because you never know where they can lead you. Yeah, that's really cool and, and all amazing stories of how you got started and kind of where you're going to now. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about sort of your experiences and what you've encountered along the way. I want to talk a little bit about facing forms of discrimination. I want to talk about unconscious bias. I want to talk about uh, situations that maybe made you feel uncomfortable. Can we start to talk about that a little bit? Reggie, let's, let's start with you. Yeah, sure. You know, I think we all have, have had, at least everyone on this call has had some sort of unconscious bias experience or even discrimination. For me, I think two things come to mind that are pretty general. You know, as I started to, I guess, climb the ladder and when we were doing in-person meetings and going out and you know, meeting with clients, I think the expectation was that, you know, me coming to the meeting with someone who doesn't look like me, that I'm not the person coming with the information, right? I'm not the person that's coming to the table to, to lead it. And, you know, I've, I've literally had examples where, you know, there's, there's your long boardroom and I'm seated in the, the, the back corner. <laughs> like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to lead the conversation from here, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's those instances, but then, you know, you have, I think more specific things like, you know, when you come into a new role, me specifically being really excited and, and wanting to kind of put your best foot forward and have all these new ideas. And, you know, those ideas aren't as accepted as, you know, your white counterparts. Right. And I've, I've faced that a lot. I think, you know, sometimes you just have to learn how to either evaluate your, your communication strategy, you know, never be afraid to check yourself, but also be confident in, in what you know. Thank you for sharing how you handled some of that and, and some advice for, for the audience too. And Alicia, I'd, I'd like for you to share some of your experiences and then also how you handled that as well. Yeah, no, Reggie. So I've had the boardroom experience where I remember working for a company in particular in my earlier years. And um, I was super excited about attending a sales meeting. And it's like, no, you can't sit here. And I literally took my notebook and sat in the back of the conference room and at that point, I felt defeated and I just really did not feel like a contributor. And so even in cases like that, I've had to do my own version of self-reflection and really empower myself, which isn't always easy when you do feel defeated. And so I made it a point that regardless of whatever role I'm in, whatever company I, I'm in, and you know, when we lived in a world where we sat in boardrooms, I would always make it a place to sit at the table. And then with that experience, you know... I was now at the table, but I wasn't being recognized. And so I feel like there's this, you know, there's always something that we're trying to navigate. And so 
there's this, you know, saying where sometimes you just got to bring your own chair. And so I'm even trying to navigate that today where I'm, I'm learning to be my own advocate and speaking up for myself. Um, and even being a woman, sometimes I don't always feel like I am heard within a number of rooms that I do have the opportunity to be in. And in fact, sometimes I'm only, you know, a person in the room, maybe just to have a person in the room, but not always look to as a contributor. So it's, for me, it's been an ongoing experience and and trying to figure out the best way to navigate it in each different uh, scenarios. But I'm I'm learning to be my own advocate, which, which has been super helpful. Yeah. Thank you for that. Brenda, how about you? Yeah. I mean, Alicia, we can spend days talking about, you know, interrupted, not being heard in these these meetings. And I think the key point that you hit on that just kind of resonated with me is, you know, there's a component of representation of diversity, but like, where's the inclusion, right? It's it's like having a song without dancing or something. I've I've heard it somewhere. It's probably said better then. But, you know, I've had a lot of experiences, especially as I've kind of moved on to more senior leadership roles where I was either just expected to join and not really contribute or participate or when I have tried to participate, I always felt like, am I speaking a different language? Like, are we all talking the same kind of um, way? So one of the things that, you know, just to go like to solutions driven story. So one of the things, you know, we, we've did is there were several women, you know, who would join these type of meetings and we're like, you know what? let's try this amplification effort where one of us say something and it's probably, it's probably going to take a few rounds, you know, with these guys, but let's every woman just repeat the same thing until it's finally like heard and, and addressed. And it was, you know, super effective. I also am a person who does kind of lend some things with humor as to try and just kind of equalize, you know, a situation and whether that's good or bad, I, I honestly, I can't, you know, it, it, it's hurt me in the past too, but it's usually my, my initial um, instinct. So I've been able to find, you know, a group of advocates also, but Alicia, to your point, also learning to stand up and talk and talk and defend for myself. And, you know, in those times where it just scares the shit out of me, I just tell myself, look, girl, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for the other woman or, you know, minority representation um, that's going to be part of this meeting moving forward. And that kind of gives me, you know, the, the courage. Or I, th- I think of my son, right? You're doing it, yep. you're doing it for your kid. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, let me ask you all a, a, another question here. Obviously, there's a lot going on in our country right now, and we don't need to get too deep into to some of these things here. But with that said, right, I'm sure a lot of folks in your companies, people you know in the industry, Right. Maybe even some folks uh, that are listening to us right now have asked you, you know, what can I do to help? Like, what can I do either in my personal life or at work to move, you know, the efforts of DE&I forward? Right. It's a two part question. One, what advice do you normally give to people? Right. And then two, what are each of you doing yourselves to push some of these initiatives forward? And and Alicia, I'll I'll start with you on that one. Oh, boy. So that's an ongoing topic that. I'm just like, if I got to talk about it one more time, but I'm very fortunate to be a part of an organization that really leads with humanity. I mean, I've heard, you know, well, diversity and inclusion and and being supportive and whatever's happening in the climate as a political stance. And in my opinion, so one of the things that I've been encouraging people to, to do is get out of your comfort zone. 
a lot of us, we live in a world where we have tunnel vision and we're not aware of the other people around us. And so it's, look, we're living in pandemic, we're quarantined, but I, I really have been encouraging folks to get outside of your comfort zone and really get to know other people for who they are. And I think at that point, you'll you'll start to understand some of the challenges that we're all experiencing as people first. Um, and so it's the humanity piece and, and really recognizing that. I mean, I have a list of books. Listen, I could recommend books for days, but at the end of the day, it's really also being willing to have those hard conversations um, and not shying away. Because at the end of the day, it's a conversation that needs to be had. And if you care enough, you will take it upon yourself to have those hard conversations, move outside of your comfort zone and really figure out what you can do. Because listen, this thing is systematic. It has benefited from this systematic, you know, construct. And so it is the responsibility of the people that created it or benefit from it to dismantle it. But I'll digress. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, one thing I, I'd love for you to talk about, right, in your own sort of personal life, right, you, you've you started AdTech Collective. Can you speak on that for a little bit? Yeah, sure. So the AdTech, in short, is really a community for young Black college graduates and entry-level um, professionals to really um, come together and learn about this world of ad tech. I've been in many conversations where I've heard, oh, there's not enough Black people, or we don't know where they are. And so I have been very fortunate to be amongst some amazing, talented, and smart Black college graduates who are interested in the work that we're doing, but have trouble accessing the industry. And so I created a community to provide access, to educate education, you know, in my world, we say education drives transaction. Well, education also drives opportunity. So we publish, you know, different things such as ad tech in layman terms. We all know that there are like a million acronyms and a million different ways of describing things. How can we distill that information to empower people to really understand what this industry is about and how to create access? And the second part of that is we work to bring allies to the table. Like, listen, there's not enough Black folk at the top to unlock a door. So we're going to have to rely on what we have. And so we're also bringing advocates who care to help and really help us to drive conversation and unlock opportunities for these kids that are hungry and have a desire to enter our industry and, and make an Awesome. Thank you for that. So Brenda, I'll, I'll throw the, the same question to you. What advice do you give folks? And then obviously uh, you hinted at it in your last answer, but obviously I'd love for you to give the attendees a little information on Tech Bay as well. Yeah, absolutely. So part of like my ever existing advice kind of hits on a few marks. So I, I usually say, look, you can choose comfort and courage. So if you feel like you're going to throw up, just do it. Because essentially, like, that's been, like, my career trajectory in the last 15 years. If it scares the shit out of me, I'm probably just going to say yes. Because at the end of the day, it makes for a great story. And that's how you learn, right? And I think one of my, to Alicia's point, like, being human first, one of the one of the times, you know, or all the times I really resonate with even my team or, you know, my collective peers is when I make mistakes openly. Right. And, you know, I always try to find a way to kind of equalize, you know, that that base. And then, you know, I'm also going to steal Corel. You and Dennis Cologne last year gave me some very actionable advice. And I've taken it on where it's, you know, especially in your organization, reach out to somebody randomly and just get to know them. And, opportunity, you know, is a company of, you know, a little under a thousand people. So I can't assume that I know everybody. And I've really taken that advice. And now, you know, as we shelter in place, it, it's actually giving us more more of an opportunity to get to 
know each other. And then, you know, with Bay, it was created almost two years ago. And it was simply, I went out one night with um, a group of four other phenomenal women in the industry. You know, we were all talking about like our challenges and, you know, or, you know, our wins and losses. And, you know, and these are women, you have to understand that, you know, we're all like my customers at some point. And the time I first met them was during like these major system outages. So our first introduction was them wanting to choke me because I was the vendor who had to like fix that. But throughout all that, we really grew it into the friendship. And these are women I respected, I feared. It was just like, they were everything to me. So just to know that we all had these issues and, you know, even they had, you know, challenge, we had the same challenges you know, really kind of drove something in me. And that night, we agreed that, you know, this type of forum really keeps us energized. And I said, you know, if we can bottle this up, if I can bottle up how I feel tonight, I want to give it to the world. Because can you imagine what can be done, you know, with that kind of, you know, amplification? So we started Tech Bay. It comes with, you know, like the, the premise that, you know, women together are stronger, you know, we work, via, you know, curated events. Now we're looking to do it virtual to really open up um, opportunities for those rising stars for women, you know, in the ad tech media space at the, you know, also at the senior level and just opening up those networking opportunities. You know, Alicia mentioned, you know, the ability to pass on that toolkit for success. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've honestly just reached a point in my career where, you know, I really have to ask myself, what are we driving towards? What does it mean? What excites me? And honestly, what is, excites me is, you know, talking about this, it's doing something and, right. and being part of that movement and action in any way I can contribute to it is, you know, what I've, you know, really set out to do. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I love what, you know, both of your answers were around sort of, you know, building, building community, right? Which I think is super important. And so, Reggie, I'll ask you the the same question as well, too. What advice do you give folks? And then what are you doing personally in your your own life? Yeah, sure. Um, And I think, you know, what both Alicia and Brenda said were pertinent, right? Getting out of your comfort zone is the most important thing because that's how you develop advocates. Being able to open up the conversation and and allow someone to experience your, your experiences is the only way that we can continue to progress forward. For us at Northstar, being that, that we're... A publisher, not an ad tech company, you know, we try to figure out ways to reach our audience. So, you know, I've recently joined the diversity and inclusion group. I think that's for me stepping outside of my comfort zone because I don't know too many people that just want to be the single representation for, you know, everyone within their organization. But, you know, you need that. You need someone that's willing to say, okay, let me be the the will gear, right? To say 13% of the population has to be represented in this conversation and open the door for others. So, you know, it takes us on this, on this call to be the leaders in our respective organizations, taking that step out. And, you know, at Northstar, I think we're, we're doing some great things. We're reaching out and trying to figure out content solutions around travel. So I think we've recently developed the Black Travel Advisory Board. And me specifically, I'm working with a group called I Am Culture that is designed to help underprivileged kids experience the world and travel, right? So you're, you're dealing with 10, 11, 12th graders that really don't have a chance to to get out and see the world. And that's one of the primary initiatives that we brought into our diversity and inclusion group and want to be able to enhance that a little bit through content, through virtual experiences like these. 
So, you know, I think that's, that's kind of the big picture. And from there, when we look at our own company and, and try and see that, you know, we only have 3% people of color within, within the organization, it's to Alicia's point, right? Like, how do we go to companies like Ag Collective and bring in more students of color? that have just graduated, but not only looking at the students of color that have just graduated, because now you're going to go to an HBCU, you're bringing someone into a completely white organization and their world is flipped, right? You spent the last four years at Howard University and now you're coming into, you know, let's just say North Star as the example and everything that they experience is completely different. So we can't just focus on, you know, the hiring process without looking at the entire experience you know, you want someone to get in and not lose their mind, but be comfortable in their day to day. So yeah. that's one of the conversations that we're having right now. Great. Thank you all for your insights and the courage to share your experiences and, and helping others to, to understand some of the ways that you've been able to, to handle some of these things. I'd like to open it up to some of the questions from the audience. We've got uh, several questions that have come in. Carell, could you share some of those questions and let's get that going? Yeah, sure. Here's one question from Kristen. What questions should we as employees be asking our leadership to address diversity? Yeah, let's start with you, Alicia. Maybe you want to try to answer that. So the first question is, what's the plan, right? I think a lot of times organizations depend on folks that have boots on the ground to really drive that strategy. But we essentially collect, count, and compare, right? Like, it's a, it's a part of the strategy. And so my question is, you know, what is the strategy? How are we organizing ourselves to make sure that we are thinking about diversity and equity as a part of our operating plan, as a part of our strategic initiatives, um, as a part of all of the things that we're doing in the market um, to really make, to make ourselves whole, right? It's, you know, you can't have amazing products and amazing solutions, and then have a dysfunctional workflow where there is no diversity, there is no equity, um, because the people that do have boots on the ground are the ones that are driving these amazing products that we're going to market with. And so oftentimes, I'm finding there is no plan. An employee resource group is not the only solution to driving diversity um, and inclusion. So I, I would really start there. And then from there, figure out how you can be a part of influencing that plan because a lot of times we have the tendency to set and forget. And so it's important that we also position ourselves to be influencers um, to see the, the outcomes that we desire to see. Great. The one thing I would definitely add to that too is understanding the data and the stats that you have. You know, from where you sit today, do you understand what that looks like? Because one of the things I do appreciate, even though I know it, you know, it's nerve-wracking as well as, you know, Putting it out there, yes, my company is, you know, 92% white, 75%, you know, right? I think, I think first it's acknowledging where you're at and where you need to be. And, you know, the, the only thing I would just kind of layer in there is at the end of the day, you know, what we represent for the industry and the community, we are the backbone of media, right? There is a direct correlation between what technology and operational talent supplies in terms of innovating and the importance of diversity for that. So we're not living in a world where amazing products and solutions can happen without having that diversity and inclusion. So I think that message to your leadership team will definitely get them listening. And I'm happy to actually share a recent study that I just read from from McKinsey as well on it. Go ahead, Reggie. I'm sorry, I just jumped in. Oh, no, you covered it all. I mean, 
only thing I would add is, is how can I help, right? Like you have to be willing to, again, step outside of your comfort zone and not just be someone that's complacent. It's, it's saying, how can I help? How can I push this vision forward? And, you know, just being open and, and honest and, and willing to listen, I guess, most importantly. Yeah. And I have one comment to add to that. Like, as a person who have found themselves in every diversity and inclusion initiative at every single company they've worked for, it's exhausting. <laughs> One of the things that my leader has said, you know, which really resonated with me, only commit to what you have control over and easy mm-hmm. to burn out, right? And so be very clear about where you can contribute because I think we all have a tendency as the only within our respective organization in some cases to take it all on. And it's really being true to yourself, Juan, and then being very explicit about what you can do and where you can drive change. Otherwise, you are going to find yourself under a desk and feeling super burnt out and counterproductive. And so it's an, I would really encourage that anyone who wants to raise their hand and say, why not me? Why not me? But where? Um, and being very specific about where you can drive um, change. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Another question, and this is one we usually ask as part of our, our regular questions on our podcast, which is, what advice would you all give to recent college grads entering entry-level people of color coming into ad tech industry, learning how to navigate these spaces? Reggie, I'll start with you. I would hop on LinkedIn, find somebody that looks like you and start to ask some questions, right? There are a bunch of platforms that are out there that I wish I was a part of in the beginning that, you know, Afrotech, um, we could name, I mean, Ad Tech Collective, Tech Bay, right? These are all areas that, that I wish I would have been as social as I could be just to try and find people that look like me and, and talk and think like me within the space. So again, this is just being willing to step outside of your comfort zone, talk to people, mm-hmm. and that would be my biggest suggestion. Okay. Alicia, how about you? So I have been living by the principle of give to get. So to Reggie's point, joining organizations are super important. I actually got my first job in the industry because I signed up to work with an organization as their communications chair. And it was through that experience where a partner said, we want her to come and work for us. And so it was through that experience where I gave my time, my talent, and my treasure. Did I unlock my first real industry experience. And so a lot of times Mm. I want to challenge entry-level professionals or recent college grads is to figure out what tools you have in your toolkit. What are you looking to develop and really give your time to some of these amazing groups to help not only drive your skill, but really build those meaningful connections, which will then hopefully unlock opportunities for you in the industry. Awesome. Thank you for that. Brenda. To not repeat what Reggie Alicia said, <laughs> they covered it. Uh, I'll offer up some old school advice my parents gave me when I entered into the when I entered into the workforce. Is you know, stay curious, stay hungry, stay mm-hmm. humble. Right. I think what what I really appreciate about the stories I've heard from Reggie and Alicia, they never said no when an opportunity came their way. They just jumped in and went for it. There is enough problems and challenges within the industry at any kind of role that you can really come in and, and make a difference. Can I just add, guys? Yeah. Get a, get a mentor. And everybody that's on this channel uh, listening to us, be a mentor. You know? Yeah. You want yeah. to extend your hand. So Everybody has social responsibility. Yeah. I agree with that. Right. There you go. There you go. 
So Brenda, I'm, I'm going to stay with you for this next question here from Vanessa. And I, and I think this is a, a super important one, right? What changes in recruiting slash hiring efforts are in place to promote diversity? I guess the question there, right, is like, you know, obviously, if you want to hire a diverse group of people, right, it starts by figuring out how to recruit those folks, right? And you can't do the same things that you've done over and over and over again if you expect change, right? So what are, what are some of your thoughts there with respect to Vanessa's question? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've, I've done this um, personally as well at Operative. So, you know, the first things first is we do now take a look at kind of the job descriptions and, you know, what, what we're really, how we're wording certain things, because, you know, we look, what we have found is, you know, some people are probably hesitant to actually apply for that specific role. So working on, you know, making that copy revision, but, you know, it, it's also like, and this is how I just am as a person. It's also, you know, I take from it a very active role in diversifying the sources in which we do look for talent and recruitment. And, you know, I leverage my very strong and diverse community as well to help in those efforts. Those, while they're not like very large, large things, they're, they're kind of actionable ways that I move with intention, you know, when it comes to, to those efforts professionally. Gotcha. Gotcha. Alicia, how about you? Same question. While I'm not in a capacity to directly influence the hiring process, what I'm able to do is really pull in my network. So when I do see that there are opportunities for people, either within my organization or external of my organization, I'm, I'm always the biggest advocate in really making sure that I am conveying information that's valuable and useful to, to other people who may not be at the table. And so it goes back to really building community and then leveraging important information because a lot of times the, the information only sits within our group. And so I have taken it upon myself to make sure that I am, I'm communicating out anything that's going to help bring someone into this industry or help someone develop within the organization that, that we're a part of. Gotcha. Okay. And since we're getting short on time here, Reggie, I'm going to go to the next question. and I'll, I'll start here with you. And this one is from Isabel. What advice would you give for people of color who are in the industry, but having a difficult time breaking the glass ceiling and entering upper management? I want all three of you to give your thoughts on this one. <laughs> um, I, I think this is probably like the toughest thing for all of us, right? Um, yeah. You know, the, the glass ceiling is very real. You know, for me, it's just continuing to stay the course and trying to continue to show and prove your value. And even in those instances, that may not be enough. But going back to something that Brenda said earlier, it's finding your advocates, the people internally. Um, you know, when you're in a corporation like mine, it's finding the people that you can work with that will continue to tout your name in, in those, you know, exclusive groups. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're all here for a reason. We, you know, we didn't by chance get here. So, you know, you want to continue to make sure that you're not the only one shouting your name. So I think, you know, just in, in the essence of time, that would probably be my, my two cents. Awesome. Thanks, man. Alicia, how about you? Same question. So my mother always had this thing growing up, show me your company and I'll tell you who you are. And so throughout um, my career journey, I have been very intentional about the people that I position myself against. So these are typically people who are 
breaking through these glass ceilings because I do have an aspiration to at some point get there. So to Reggie's point, it's really staying focused and staying the course and being super committed to um, what you need to do to advance in that space. So I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly asking questions. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly challenging different thoughts and ideas. And I think these are all things that um, we need to do to continue to climb the ranks and so that we can essentially create an opportunity for someone else behind us. Right. And Brenda, with your added responsibilities over the last year and climbing the ranks at Operative, uh, would love to get your thoughts on on this particular question. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lot of what, you know, Reggie and Alicia said, right? You have to have your advocates. You also have to know who at the end of the day you're working with, right? And who you're aligning yourself with. And, you know, the one thing I would definitely add is taking risks. Right. You got to uh-huh. be ready to bring it to a level nobody has ever seen yet. You have to almost be willing to put everything on the line. And, and, and I mean that because I think there's, you know, there's definitely an added responsibility to I'm having a hard time kind of putting the words together. But you almost have to like put in if everybody's putting 100 percent, you have to put in a thousand percent. You know, I, I run a lot of programs at operative and. You know, for those of you who've come and joined them, you know, my like the way I've always approached it is this is the last event. I'm like, I'm going to go so all out. I'm going to scare myself for the next event. Right. Like I'm going to pretend this is the last (laughs) event. I'm going to go all out. So I kind of go zero to 200 when it comes to that. And but with that said, I really feel like all those three pillars do have to come together. And then, you know, one of the things I would actually kind of put back on the group as well. There is glass ceiling for sure. There's also the concept of a glass floor. And there's also a concept of a glass elevator, which I know we're probably running out of time, but probably a good uh, segment. But there's many glasses. <laughs> I feel like Brenda just pitched that the next ad monster. Right, right. <laughs> elevator. Go there. Nice. That's why we have to keep um, pushing. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, I mean, I think what you just touched on there too, a, a little bit, Brenda, is that like the education is important, right? You always have to keep learning. I mean, you just threw out some terms that I'll fully admit that I don't know the definition behind a few of them. And so let's talk later. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, a fun question I love asking all the guests that we normally have on on the podcast. Brenda, you've answered this question before, so you'll you'll go last. Uh, <laughs> I'll start with Alicia. Right. Give us all the top three apps on your phone that you use on a regular basis, and you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. So the first one is Blinkist because I never have enough time to read a book. I can read a book in 10 minutes. <laughs> so I read many books. Um, the second one is Spark Post. I'm always thinking and in figuring out ways to inspire people. And so I'm making little tiles for social media. And then the last one um, is the Afrotech app. I had a chance to go to the conference last year and, and felt really nice. energized by them constantly in their chats or looking at new resources and tools that they post. Um, and it, it keeps me going because sometimes I cannot keep up with industry news, but it's interesting to hear people's personal perspectives. So those are my three. All right, cool. Reggie, how about you? All right, so there's a little bit of overlap there because I also <laughs> use the Afrotech app. So Afrotech is, you know, it's huge to doist to do is to keep my life in order. Um, you know, that's my little checklist of things. And the last one is kind of a, a, a tie between Amazon and title. 
Amazon is getting all my money during the quarantine. So <laughs> definitely I don't think you're alone on that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Brenda, you got three new apps for me. Not the same um, one you told us last yeah. time. Yeah, well, it completely haunted me because the first time I answered it, I wanted to like redo the entire podcast just to re-answer that. <laughs> but I'm going to keep it to what has been like on and top in my phone for the last like three months. So definitely the Zoom app, if that counts. I definitely have the Spotify app mm. on where, you know, further plug Minority Report is one of the top three podcasts I listen to, but then I also have my Cardi B playlist. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I am diehard. And then the third one has been um, the, the health app. So being stuck at home, I've been eating a lot of great Dominican food. So now I really got to start moving a little bit. More. <laughs> <laughs> <They're recipes. laughs> yes, and, uh, I, I've been now like actively tracking kind of like my steps and, and stuff, but you know. <laughs> All that, all that great food. So, well, great. I'd like to start with you know a bunch of thank yous, really. So, thank you all first for for sharing your experiences and having the courage to share that with a, a large audience. Thank you, audience, for joining us and listening and learning a whole lot more. And uh, a big thank you to uh, Ad Monsters and the Ad Monsters family, Beeler, Gavin, Lynn. Thank you for your continued support. And just a reminder: if you want to, you know, hear more. Just search for Minority Report Podcast where you find all of your audio and uh, share a comment and drop a like if you like. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us.